Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday morning edition of Unexpected Points. I'm your host, Kevin Cole, America's favorite analytical podcast and America's favorite adjusted scores will come to you for a good game, I would say, although maybe not an explosive game, not an offensive firepower game, not a game where teams were getting into the end zone quite enough after having some success early on that. And that will affect my adjusted scores, which you will see shortly for this contest. It was the Rams against the 49ers. A lot of history going into this Shanahan with a lifetime record of seven and four against McVay coming into this one. And guess what? Another victory for Mike Shanahan in this contest. Saying the Kivitz side, Jimmy throws. It is caught by Debo Samuel. Breaks a tackle 40. Debo 35 30, 25 20. Breaks another tackle 15 10, 5. Touchdown! San Francisco! Now that feels great, baby. That- <laughs> what a call there by Greg Papa. And also a little addition there by Tim Ryan over at KNBR, the local radio station there in San Francisco. I love these local radio guys. Doesn't get any better. Does not get any better than that. Hearing the enthusiasm, just the naked partisanship and fandom in the voices there. Can't can't get any better than that. And of course, that was the play of the game, the Debo Samuel catch and run, including embarrassing Jalen Ramsey at the end of that on an open field tackle that was not only was it not executed, it really wasn't even close how we just ran through him like he wasn't even there. Great downfield blocking by the team, a throw by Jimmy, which in some ways bad, of course, because the defender tried to jump it and almost intercepted it. But in another way, see, this is the the galaxy brain 4D chess thinking for Jimmy Garoppolo here. Also, you know, just got one defender out of the way because he went for the interception. See, 4D, 4D chess thinking there by Garoppolo on that one, which ended up putting them ahead. And they never really looked back in this game the entire time after scoring a touchdown on the first drive by Jeff Wilson. All right, let's get to the particulars and the review of this game. San Francisco closed as a one and a half point favorite. It was two at some times. It was never getting up to three. That's the key number, of course, in this one. So these teams were seen as being roughly equals, roughly equals for the fact that it was in um, it was in San Francisco. If it got up to three, then we would have said that the 49ers were the better team in this game, but it never really got up to three. So we could say that they were roughly equal in this game. Final score, 24 to nine. My adjusted score, 26 to 18. Let's explain the particulars there for the adjusted score. Uh, first off, let's talk about the Rams. So the Rams had trouble being consistently effective beyond that first drive. Things started well for the Rams. They moved the ball down the field. Stafford completed seven straight passes on that first drive, but then he took a 10-yard sack, which wasn't completely his fault. He had a lot of pressure in his face. Maybe he could have dumped the ball at the feet of uh, Skoranek or someone in that situation, but took the 10-yard sack, kicked the field goal. It didn't seem like at that point in time it would be a major problem 
for the Rams since they moved the ball well, despite the fact that San Francisco came right back and got a long couple of third down conversions by Jimmy. We'll talk about that. Jimmy G, third down converting. Uh, Savant is back in this game and then got a very long touchdown run from Jeff Wilson in this one to put them ahead. The problem after that is that the Rams, not great in this game offensively from a success rate perspective. Um, if we go through the numbers for them in this one, they're, we're in the 36th percentile as far as their success rate in this one, in this game, um, and about the 43rd percentile for the 49ers. So not a huge difference there, but their EPA per play was just monstrously different. Big plays, third down conversions for the 49ers, big negative plays for the Rams here. Now we downweight some of those negative plays. For instance, if you go through the biggest plays of the game, the reason we give San Francisco a little bit more, I mean, sorry, the reason we give the Rams a little bit more credit is worst case scenario type of interception here by, let me see if I can get this right here. Talanoa, Talanoa Hufanga for the 49ers, the safety there. First and 10, that hurts. Pick six, that hurts. 52 yards, that hurts. All of that is a big one. 9.9 expected points lost from the 49ers on that play. So we, you know, we massage that a little bit in the numbers to help bring the differential a little bit closer just because that's a worst case scenario type of play. In fact, if you think about that versus the Jimmy Garoppolo touchdown to Debo Samuel, the one that we heard on the highlight earlier, that was a six expected points game, which is a big, big number because at third and three, your expected points going into the play is not are not that high. Midfield, third down and three. Half the time you convert and you end up getting some points. Half the times you don't convert and you end up kicking and giving the ball to the other team who ends up getting some points. So big, big play there, but not nearly as big. Still, we're talking about you know two-thirds bigger type of play, 66% bigger type of play for the pick six than the biggest offensive play of that game. So that also shows you why it's a little bit close, a little bit closer than what you might think is that they didn't have those big explosive plays, but did have some success moving the ball for the Rams. Now, why is the 49ers score at 26 when they only scored 24 points and seven of those points were on a pick six? Well, Robbie Gould missed the 42 yard field goal. It's a very, very makeable field goal for for the NFL player. In fact, that was the third most impactful play of the game in terms of EPA. Not very impactful in terms of win probability because they were up already at that point by eight points, but big in terms of EPA there, minus 3.6 EPA. So that's that's part of it there. Why else do they get a little bit of a bump there? Well, they did have a couple of drives themselves where they weren't able to convert and finish near the goal line. And you would have hoped that that would happen in normal type of play. So that's the reason why San Francisco has a decent score there. And again, they weren't explosive offensively, but they were okay. Now, when we dig down the parameters here, and this is going to go into the big Jimmy G discourse we're going to have to have here after this game, as unfortunately we have to have after a lot of 49ers games. But if you look at the running game, I mean, they did run it quite a bit for the 49ers had a 56% pass rate, which was 1% under expectation. So the expectation was a little bit low because they were winning a lot, but they still went under that expectation. So they did lean on the run. They did lean on play action. They did lean on a lot of screen passes and things like that. But 
if we're talking about just being consistently successful, this was a game where Jimmy G carried them. I mentioned the long touchdown run from Jeff Wilson in this game, and that did make it into the top 10 plays, a 3.1 EPA gained, but it's on first and 10. And so that lowers, you know, the Debo Samuel type of play is worth twice as much as a first and 10 touchdown from closer in. Just a way to think about the value being added. You can get much, much higher outcome value added on third downs and third downs outside of third and two, third and one, maybe third and three are almost always drop back passing plays. So the percentile, though, for their running success in this game for the 49ers was only 12%. I mean, they ran it a lot. Maybe you might got a perception thinking that they ran it well, but they didn't really run it well. They had 36 percentile for their EPA gain because of that huge run, but only the 12th percentile for their play-by-play success rate in this one. This was one where they were getting into third downs consistently, not good on first and second down running the ball, but they were able to convert third downs passing the ball uh, in this game. Rams, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, they did pass over expectation. They did pass the ball 70-something percent of the time, but their running game just continues to be horrible. Going back to last season, it was bad all season. It was awful in the playoff run. It almost held them back, I would say, in ways from going through the playoffs and winning the Super Bowl. Again, in this game, fifth percentile as far as their run success rates, and they did not break off any big runs. So way, way down there. Now, dropback success rate, this is Jimmy G we're talking about here. This is the passing game. This is Debo Samuel. This is George Kittle. This is Brandon Ayuk. 74th percentile in success and 80th percentile in their actual efficiency. So there isn't a huge differential there. I think some people might look at the low completion percentage for Jimmy in this game, which was under 60%, and assume that, there weren't being consistently successful in the passing game. And it was really just those outlier type of plays. Actually not the case. They're pretty similar, their success rate and their efficiency in this one. And the Rams 40th percentile success rate and the dropback success, the dropback EPA per play is very, very low because you had the huge, uh, you know, 10 point negative play on the interceptions. Okay. Let's get to third downs because everything's about third downs in the NFL, uh, whether we want to believe it or not. I stated, I think, as part of a wrap-up when we looked at how Jimmy had played the week before um, when they had lost that, that, that game where they were 1 of 10 on third downs. They were 0 for 9 on the first few third down, the first nine third down attempts. That Jimmy is generally in the passing game. Maybe you want to say, don't just say Jimmy. The passing game, Shanahan, everyone else, generally good on third downs. Way over expectation, their, con- their conversions in 2019 and in 2021 when Jimmy was there. Over expectation, the last five games of 2017, also when Jimmy was healthy there. Uh, there were only eight of 25, though, coming into this game. That had been holding down the offense so far this year. 5 of 11 in this game, and also one of the third downs they did not convert was kind of a dime by Jimmy to the back of the end zone to George Kittle where he couldn't get both feet in. So they were even a little bit better on that type of play than you might think. And talk about this completion percentage worship. This is maybe a a comment on what's missing in NFL uh, announcing going on here. I thought there was a hilarious little segment near, I don't know, with maybe five, six minutes left in the game where they pulled up Jimmy's stats for the game. And Troy Aikman said, if you look at these stats, I couldn't tell what he was going to say before. And I couldn't say, couldn't tell if he was going to say, Jimmy's been a lot worse than these stats tell you. 
because that's probably how I would look at it, or that he wasn't as good as the stats. But he actually said Jimmy had been better than what the stats show you. And that's because he really had this focus on completion percentage and that he was around 50% in his completion percentage. At that exact point in time, his yards per attempt, the most fundamental efficiency stat telling you how well the team is passing the ball, yards per attempt, the easiest, just put it out there. He was at 8.9 yards per attempt at that point in time, which would be number one in the NFL in almost any given season. So Troy Aikman looked at this a little bit over 50% completion percentage and said, he's been playing better than his numbers. I would look at the 8.9 yards per attempt, which is really the, the important thing here and say, he hasn't been quite as good as those numbers. When we look at the yak and the after catch contributions that we've had from Debo Samuel in this game, very weird thing. And I think that might affect some of the discourse around Jimmy a lot is because, you know, they don't have sacks, right? They don't have sacks on this, on this thing for how well he's playing zero sacks taken by Jimmy in this game. One incompletion he had earlier in this game where Aaron Donald came off free and he turned, he wasn't even turned towards him at the beginning of the play, turned towards him, got rid of the ball quickly, dirted it. That's going to look bad from a completion percentage standpoint. That's going to look bad from a completion percentage over expected and advanced stats standpoint there. Uh, It's going to look somewhat bad from an EPA standpoint, but the differential between that and a play like on the first drive where Matthew Stafford takes the 10-yard sack and kills the drive is huge because that was a second-and-nine play. Keeps the, keeps the possession at third-and-nine. Unsuccessful run on first down. Uh, free runner on second down, where and then Jimmy dirts the ball, gets it into third-and-nine, and then they complete the pass there, move forward, are able to convert the play. And those the combination of those things... Um, is something that, again, probably gets a little bit underplayed when you're looking at and thinking to yourself, hmm, like how well did he play in those games? Those are sorts of things that end up not really coming through in the stats, but are hugely important when we're looking at how they played in the game, how they were able to convert, how they were able to, you know, go ahead and matriculate the ball down the field is that, he completed the ball to Jawan Jennings after that for a 10-yard gain on third and nine. If he would have taken a sack, it would have almost taken him out of that possession. And then later on, also converted another third and five to Jawan Jennings uh, later on that possession, which then sets up the Jeff Wilson 32-yard touchdown. So that's something that's probably a little bit underplayed when we talk about the Jimmy G discourse. I also saw some things on social media. I try not to react to too much of what we see on social media because it probably has you arguing against the loudest and sometimes most insane people. But there's some good commentators who are commentating, who like to, you know, point out constantly about how San Francisco is basically hiding their quarterback on certain drives. There was another drive where they threw multiple wide receiver screens, getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And I agree that Jimmy does not deserve full credit for the end result on those plays. But I do think that the reason they're able to execute so well, like I don't think Shanahan is scheming up a wide receiver tunnel screen or uh, those sorts of plays so much better than anyone else in the NFL. Certain guys can run it pretty well, Debo Samuel being one of them. But, you know, Brandon Ayuk ran uh, some screens pretty well in this game. And he's not – he's a great – he's a good player – He's a strong run after the catch guy, but not someone 
who is so so much of an outlier that that's really doing it. I do think there is something to executing the play from the quarterback position in two different ways. One, ball placement, getting it on time. And two is how quickly he's able to just flick the ball out there. May not seem like a huge difference, but if you can get the ball out to the receiver in stride, in position, a tenth of a second faster than another quarterback, that can make a big difference on those quick hitting plays on the outside. We saw some clips and other things of Trey Lance in the offseason. He's got a little bit of a wind-up to his delivery, a little bit more of his lower body stepping into it in his throw than we have for someone like Jimmy who just flicks it. So it does make a difference. Again, we're not giving him a ton of credit, but we can't just ignore results over and over again, a successful passing game over and over again on these sorts of plays. And just to go through again, the numbers can tell you some some good stuff here in EPA. They can overvalue in other ways with EPA. Uh, he graded pretty well in this game. He had a, about a 79 grade subject to review. So a decent grade for him. And we just can't ignore the things that our brains can't process. Our brains love to process and quarterback evaluators love to process the decision-making, throwing the ball down the field, making the big time throws, just executing well, slightly better than someone else would do. It's a little bit more difficult for our brains to get a handle on. And you can't ignore the results. Jimmy Garoppolo about fourth in the NFL in his EPA per play since 2017, since coming to the Niners. I know people like to think that Nick Mullins was just as good as Jimmy was because he had a good stretch in 2018. But over the entire time he was in San Francisco, he was around 30th, a little bit slightly positive in EPA per play. C.J. Beathard was 46th slightly negative EPA per play. So nowhere close to Jimmy in that efficiency. And again, how many times do we have to get hit in the face with the record being better consistently with Jimmy over and over again? And it's not just one season. 49ers, 1-10 in 2017 without Jimmy, 5-0 and with him. 2018, he gets injured. After he leaves, 3-10 and without him. 2019, healthy the whole year, 13-3. and They go to the Super Bowl. 2020 gets injured a few games into the season three and seven record without Jimmy there so far this season Trey Lance starts week one they lose it's not that much to to say so far um Trey Lance started two games in 20 I'm sorry in 2021 Trey Lance started two games one and one there winning record with Jimmy uh this season Trey Lance first game loss starts the second game but kind of leaves early Jimmy kind of takes that one home and then you could you say they're kind of two and one with Jimmy, zero, zero oh and one with Trey Lance. Hey, it just keeps on happening over and over again. Maybe not the best quarterback competition. Yeah, he has great weapons. But in 2017, you know, there's no George Kittle. There's no Debo Samuel back then when he went five and zero to end the season. Marquise Goodwin was his top receiver. So there, there's something there. We don't give him all the credit, but we don't give him none of the credit. Also, don't go either way. It's a little bit more complex than what people think there. A strong, strong defensive effort from the 49ers. And I think that's probably the one thing we want to talk about, uh, how they're going to play going forward. I was a little bit skeptical whether or not we could assume they were going to be this great defensive team coming into this year. But they were harassing Stafford. They sacked him seven times. We'll find, you know, they don't get full credit, I don't think, for all of those. Because... There were some missed assignments. There's Stafford needs to have better awareness on some of these. There's other times where he just needs to get rid of the ball. But still, you have a pick six. You have seven sacks. 
that's a game where offensively you don't have to do a ton to end up winning this game, despite the fact that the drop back passing game was pretty good for San Francisco in this one. Stafford less than a 50 grade in this one. It's going to look bad. EPA per play is in the gutter. And he wasn't very good coming into this game because of how poor his performance was um, in week one against the the Buffalo Bills. So if we're going to look right now, if you look at 39 different, actually, let, let's, let's schedule here. Okay, let's say anyone who's had, I don't know, 50 plays, so 50 dropbacks so far this year. There are 32 quarterbacks in the NFL who have had 50 dropbacks so far this year. Lowest EPA per play. Stafford's in the bottom 10. So not horrible, but if you look at the guys who are below him so far this year, Baker Mayfield's the worst, Mitchell Trubisky, Davis Mills, Justin Fields, Joe Flacco, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Mac Jones. I actually think Mac Jones has been playing okay this year. Uh, until he got injured, Daniel Jones, and then Matthew Stafford is next. So not not horrible, but not looking so hot so far this year. Leading the NFL in interception expected points lost, and quite quite higher than anyone else. Matthew Stafford has now lost thirty eight expected points to interceptions this year. Some of that is fluky because of the big pick sixes. Uh, the next closest guy is Matt Ryan at twenty five. So 38 to 25, that is a big, big jump there. And also sacks. So these big, big negative plays. Stafford is also fifth in the NFL right now in his sack expected points lost. Not good. Not good because that just really puts a ceiling on your offensive output if you're losing that many points. I mean, if you look at just straight passing EPA where you're not getting sacked, where you're not throwing an interception where you're not scrambling. So let's take all those three things out of dropping back to pass the two big negatives and the one potential positive, but you know, Matthew Stafford's not scrambling much anyway. Stafford is fourth as far as adding expected points in the NFL, Josh Allen, one to a second, Patrick Mahomes, third, Matthew Stafford, fourth. So we just need to get control of those negative plays for this Rams offense. Because again, the offense from the rushing perspective is just trash as they have been for, for multiple seasons in a row. That is not going to carry them. That is not going to carry them this season. That is not going to give you a floor when the passing game is struggling. If you look at their numbers last year, their running success rate was, I'm sorry, their running EPA per play was 30th last year. It's 22nd this year. But their dropback success rate this year was is seventh versus being second last year. So not bad. But again, those negative plays, hugely impactful. 23rd in EPA per play versus being first last season. So that differential between having the seventh most successful passing offense on a play-by-play basis versus the 23rd best efficiency offense too many sacks, too many INTs. I don't know if it's the line we're talking about here. I don't know if it's decision-making. I don't know if it's bad luck. It's a combination of all three. But that needs to get fixed up for the Rams really to have a chance this season. Um, you just cannot have that type of floor on your passing offense. And if we're going to look at where these teams stand right now, 
um, for my power ratings, my strength ratings, things like that. Let me see if I can, I'll bring up something I'm going to, I like to look at that goes through and really encapsulates what you're, you're looking at for, at least what I'm looking at for a team here when we're looking at their strength offensively and defensively. So this would be the average adjusted scores that they've had offensively versus the average opponent adjusted scores right now. And if you tier these, and when I, when I tier this sort of stuff, I like to give about 65% credit to the offense and 35% credit to the defense because of the fact that it's less stable going forward. I mean, the Rams aren't horrible right now as far as where they stand. They actually look pretty similar to the 49ers because um, their offensive, their adjusted offensive score has not been bad. It's all of those turnovers that are keeping them down. Fundamentally, they look like a good team, but their opponent score has also been pretty good. So defensively, they have not been great. Some of that is Buffalo, again, stomping down on them week one, but they have not been great there. San Francisco is in the opposite category. And some of this is week one because of the fact that um, Trey Lance was in there and wasn't performing well, but they've been one of the best, their second best defense next to the Bengals, a much tougher schedule. So I could, I think you could say they're the best defense so far in the NFL, according to adjusted scores, but they're pretty middling offensively. Uh, hopefully with Jimmy, that will start to tick up. And I think San Francisco and the Rams are probably still in that top five, six, seven teams in the NFL, but I would flip now. Whereas preseason, I would have had the Rams above the 49ers. I'm going to flip now, put the 49ers above the Rams so far this season for what we will see going forward. All right, before we preview Thursday night, Broncos and Colts, let's pay some bills here. DraftKings, the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays. Even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With bigger payouts than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game, that's code PFF. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, the Unexpected Points podcast is brought to you by Western and Southern Financial Group. While your focus is on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com. Lastly, I'll talk our PFF app again. Having a pretty good fantasy season, I think, from our team here. From everyone else, start, sit, decisions, uh, figuring out who to attack from the waiver wire and other articles that we have out there. Of course, all the information you would need, weather, injury status, and so on. Get all of that information for your fantasy football needs. PFF app in your app store. All right, Broncos at home in this one against the Indianapolis Colts. I mentioned this on the review pod yesterday, but low-key, okay offensive game for the Colts last week. Now, they couldn't run the ball. 
at all. But for me, I'm going to be a little bit more concerned about whether they can ever get their passing game going with Matt Ryan because you wouldn't put him in this category. You wouldn't put him in the Matthew Stafford sort of category. But this year so far, he fit the bill as being in that Matthew Stafford sort of category when we talk about the expected points lost on sacks and on interceptions. You would think Matt Ryan, veteran guy, borderline Hall of Fame guy, older quarterback, knows he doesn't have the ceiling in that passing game, is going to keep the floor out. But that had not been happening so far for the Colts this season. Um, If you look at Ryan, he was second worst expected points added loss to interceptions. I mentioned before, Stafford is the worst. Second most expected points lost to sacks. Only Carson Wentz is worse. Remember, Carson Wentz was sacked nine times against the Philadelphia Eagles a couple weeks ago. Uh, He's worse than Joe Burrow in expected points lost to sacks. And we have all this hemming and hawing and everything else about Joe Burrow this season. Matt Ryan has actually lost more on this. I mean, some of this includes strip sacks, which end up being you know hugely impactful. But those two things have been really, really bad. He and Stafford are head and shoulders above anyone else this season as far as those two categories putting their team in a hole, uh, lowering the ceiling drastically for what you could potentially do, the ceiling and the floor with those types of plays. And the Colts have not been getting turnovers on the defensive side nearly enough either. So far this season, net, if you net out the turnover uh, EPA that they've lost from fumbles and from interceptions, and then the EPA that they've gained defensively from fumbles and interceptions, they're at negative 43. To, for, for, you know, that's going to net out for everyone in the NFL. They're at negative 43, worse than the NFL so far this season. And the Denver Broncos, for contrast, are at negative six. So there's a lot of negativity built into, a lot of outlier type of play, negativity built into how the Colts have played this season. Now, but they've been awful though, right? In some of these games. I mean, shut out by the Jaguars. Looked, you know, disjointed at best last week offensively against the Tennessee Titans, who are not a killer offense. Uh, 28th in sec- success rate so far this this year. But the Broncos are only 22nd, so not much better. Defensively, 11th and 13th, so they're both pretty close here. Now, the Broncos are three-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. 43 and a half over under my numbers combining what we have for these teams so far. And I'll give you a little bit of a window into the two different numbers that I'm mainly looking at. One is the preseason priors that I had on both of these teams. I had the Colts as being the 12th best team in the preseason prior. I had the Broncos being the eighth best team in the preseason prior and how far they played, how how well they played so far this season, which includes the adjusted scores and make some adjustments for strength of schedule. Um, Colts at 26th in the NFL. Uh, Their offensive ranking is actually not that bad because they've just been so held down by these outlier plays, but they're still 20th in offense so far this season. And Denver a little bit worse, 28th. So it's weird to see that because you think the Colts may have been even worse than Denver, but they have been held down by these these big plays, the, the, the strip sacks, and the interceptions, which will probably level out somewhat going forward as far as the, how they're going to play. 
So it, it narrows this matchup a little bit more. I don't think I would want to go either way on this one. Jonathan Taylor is going to miss the game, which doesn't have a big impact because they haven't been hugely successful running the ball, but it does take away an explosive play element from this game. Actually, I don't know if he's going to miss this game, but he's he didn't he had a DNP for Monday's like theoretical practice that doesn't really happen, but they're estimating what they're going to do in this game. So for that reason, it looks down. I mean, if I was going to lean one way or another, I think I'd lean slightly towards the Colts here because you're getting not only over the key, the key number of three, but three and a half, but it's tough here. Uh, over under, Denver has been the 29th offense in the NFL so far this year, according to my numbers. Yeah, they've struggled with red zone. They've struggled with turnover, bad luck when you look at the Melvin Gordon fumble, which ended up being a fumble six last week. They've still just been bad fundamentally. Bottom 10 in success rate offensively. And the Colts, again, a little bit better, about 18th. So could they get up to that number of 43 and a half? I think it's pretty fairly priced. I have it slightly over in this game. But again, fairly priced number in my opinion so far here. So I wish I had a lot more to say as far as what you could potentially play in this game. But I have you know, fairly priced numbers on both of those things so far in this one as we get closer to kickoff i may float out some ideas on twitter about player props and things like that but we need a little bit more certainty about who's going to be playing here and we need a lot more of those lines to get up at different sports books before we can get a great idea of what's happening here Uh, but to give you a little bit of a playoff review not only for monday night which i failed to do uh, but also going into thursday night so you can see the stakes here San Francisco is up to a 40% chance to win the division versus the Rams at 34%. And believe it or not, the Cardinals are still hanging around at 22% since everyone's the same record in that division. Uh, Apologies to Seahawks fans. We only have you at 5% despite the 2-2 record so far this season. And for uh, Denver and Indianapolis... Indianapolis, still 34% chance to make the playoffs. Not bad, despite the struggles to start the season here. And Denver is still at 38%, so a little bit higher, tougher division there. They're only 12% to win the division. If they win this game, they will get, if Denver wins this game, they're going to get their playoff probability back above 50% again. So it's a big leverage game this early in the season Indianapolis will also be right at 50%. So we're talking about a 15, 20% playoff probability type of game this early in the season for these two teams. It's going to be pretty huge. It's going to be a huge contest because the Colts at one, two and one, and then the Broncos at two and two, both of them really need a win here to have a good layout as far as what they're going to do in the playoffs and that the stakes will be there whether or not the quality of play at least offensively will be there that is something that we'll we'll yet to see on Thursday night all right thanks everybody for tuning in this is the Monday the Monday night football wrap up Thursday night preview on Friday morning I will wrap up the Thursday night game, and then get into some best bets. Two and one last week, recreational purposes only. Uh, Some best bets for the week five Sunday slate. Rate, review the pod, click thumbs up on there if you enjoy what you're hearing. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone in a few days. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.